Welcome back to the Insignificant Others podcast. This is Brett Featherston, and welcome to episode number 22. With me, as always, is... Rob Flint. Rob, how are you? Doing doing well, Brett. Doing well. You're Thanks for asking. Good. You're looking good. Oh, man, I'm telling you what. I You know, little little diet, exercise, does the body good. <laughs> well, our podcast that we're introing right now was with Tova Cito, and you can contact Tova Cito through tovacito.com. Um her story is, uh, God, you know what? I'll be honest. Her story isn't a fun story to tell. No, it's not. It's not, and it's it's. Uh, she's led a, a very interesting life. Um, you know, has has come across and experienced some some serious life tragedy. And she's come out of it well. She's come out say. of it well. I mean, it, it's kind of a happy story that you realize that you can go into the depths of hell and come out of it and be okay, but. You know, she's had more than her fair share of heart. No, there's no doubt. And and we were talking, the 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 strength that she exudes, even while while telling her story, is is amazing. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I, I knew what we were going to walk into prior to interviewing her, and I was excited to just as I wanted to hear it firsthand. And and all the while, it's it's it, you know amongst the the layers of of quote unquote sadness. I mean, it's just just her. Body language, her her conviction, um, her confidence. Um, it's it was it was inspirational for me. Just within the the hour and twenty minutes or so that we sat down and talked to her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it brings to mind something that I heard somebody say one time: of you know, if you if you threw all your problems down on the ground and everybody else threw their problems down, and you got to compare yours with theirs, you'd pick yours up real quick. Yeah. What she's been through. Um, and the strength and grace that she's dealt with it, and and the faith, uh, faith is definitely part. And of And there's and, and not to not to leave out the fact that there's a lot of happiness and joy in her in her life today. Yeah. And so I don't want to, you know, it's 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 not all all uh, sadness, but um, she she has been um, lifted um, tremendously by the love of uh, her three children. Yeah, absolutely. She's got three wonderful kids. Her book is called Borrowed Courage. You can buy it at tobacito.com. And I hope you enjoy your story. All right, we're back with our next podcast. Rob, how are you? Doing well, Brett. Good, good. And I'll introduce our guest, Tovacito, author, mom, pastor, uh, philanthropist, since you work for a nonprofit. Hi, Tova. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for being here. I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Grateful to be here. I, I got to tell you, I've been really looking forward to this for a long time, ever since my sister gave me your book. And I've been really looking forward to this podcast. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about you sharing your story because I think it's very poignant. and It's going to resonate with a lot of people that listen to this. Wow. I'm grateful for the opportunity. So thank you both for having me. So here's what I thought we'd do is let's let's start kind of from the beginning and go through your story. Okay. You grew up in yeah. Dallas, right? Yeah. So well, I moved here when I was six. I was born in New Mexico, and um, I don't don't remember much about New Mexico, but moved here when I was in the second grade. And yes, grew up here. Grew up in Richardson. Where'd you go to high school? I went to Berkner High School. Berkner. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So what was growing up like for you? Um. Well, it was, a, it was a mix. There were a lot of really good, happy things about my childhood and growing up, and a lot of, a lot of hard. Um, I grew up with three siblings. There's four of us, and we're all very, very close. So that was probably a, a real highlight <clears throat> of me growing up. Um, I'm still real close to, to my siblings. So 
Uh, I have one sister that's 11 months older than me and a younger brother that's nine years younger and a younger sister that's five years younger. And my parents both worked a ton and were gone a lot. And so I, I, I say I got to raise them. Yeah. And that was, that was great. Um, I was raised Mormon. And, um, you know, at the time when I was growing up, it seemed, uh, it seemed like I was one of the lucky ones, uh, being Mormon. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Okay. Because I always think of Mormons as Utah. How big yeah. is the Mormon population, I guess? I don't know if that's the right term. Well, there North were Texas. 987 students in my graduating class, and I think there were four Four, okay. Four of us that graduated so Mormon. So it's not a big so, community. No, it yeah. was not. When I was growing up, it was not. I've, it's always growing. I mean, it's one of the fastest growing religions in the world. But um, but it wasn't. I was definitely odd man out. Okay. I, like People thought I was strange. Uh, my friends always wondered because they heard the story. They thought you were strange for that reason? They, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, they thought it was weird that my family was Mormon and we had a ton of kids, like four was a lot of children. Yeah. And um, and so, you know, it was just nobody was Mormon. And, right. and our lifestyle was very unique. We were, you know, I always had to be with my family. Um, there was huge emphasis on family time and going to church Mormons go to church for three hours on Sunday. They don't play sports on Sunday. They don't eat out on Sunday. Um, so I lived this life that looked very different than a lot of my friends. Can you watch NFL football on Sunday? Uh, you weren't supposed to. Oh. You're, you're See, describing a well. very happy Sunday for, for at least my family. <laughs> we're always eating out on Sundays, and we're always at some sporting event on Sundays. Yeah. So and that's that, interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, none of those. I mean, they they take that the commandment, keep yeah. the Sabbath day holy, very seriously. Sunday's the Sabbath, and, and we didn't do anything. We went to church for three hours, and we came home. We ate lunch at home. We took naps. TV did not come on. Wow. And this goes to what we were talking about before we started recording is, is uh, I don't know a ton of Mormons, but the ones I, I do know, I, they're, they're, I have a certain admiration for because they walk the walk. Oh, they d sure do. More so, I think, than uh, most Christians. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was... I mean, it was certainly my experience that, that that was the case. I mean, us being Mormon was the most important thing that we did as a family, for sure. Yeah. Um, and and so I went to Brigham Young University because when you when you grow up Mormon, that's what you, you do. You apply yeah. to one school and and pray pray like hell. Can I say hell? You can. You're in safe company. You're in safe company. And you just. Pray like hell you get in. And uh, I think I barely got in. And, and I would never get in today. I mean, it's hard. It's hard because all the Mormons want to go there. Wow. So I went to BYU and um, I'd never, I, I mean, I grew up in Dallas, so I'd never, I'd never seen the outdoors like that. I'd never seen the mountains like that and, you know, experienced it like yeah, on a daily yeah. basis. And so like the hiking and the skiing and rollerblading and biking, like that, that just opened a whole new world to me. And so for that, I loved it. You loved it, but but the fact that you were with, you know, others who are like you who follow the same faith mm -hmm. that that did that make you more comfortable? Um, Actually, it's a great question, and you would kind of think that it it would. I I didn't. I knew that I was different when I was growing up. Um, I knew that my family was different. Um, and so I guess you would assume that going to BYU, I would have felt more comfortable, but it actually 
made me more uncomfortable hmm. um, for me. And, yeah. and I, you know, it was my experience. BYU is really hard on me. I, I, I describe in my book that I felt like um, a snow globe. Like I was, I was on the outside of this perfect world, mm-hmm. this snow globe. And I was an out, I always felt like an outsider looking in. Huh. Um, it, everybody appears to be very perfect, come from a perfect family, have perfect finances. Um, it's a Facebook version of faith. Yes. For me, <laughs> for me, it very much was. It was, it was like perpetual Instagram. Like you're seeing, you're, you com- see I was comparing my, my insides to everybody else's outsides, which from, for me was really hard. And so it was, BYU is really hard on me. It's probably the most, the the most uh, depressed and sad that I've ever been, and and being Mormon, it just felt like something I couldn't live up to. It was very yeah. difficult for me, and so when I graduated, I couldn't wait to get out. And it, when you go to BYU, <clears throat> you have to you have to take Bible classes. You have to take classes on the Book of Mormon. Uh, you have to graduate with a certain amount of religious studies. And um, you have to go to church. I mean, it's a non-negotiable. Um, or you can't. They'll, you they'll kick you out. You can't wow. graduate. Um, where, what, what, where did you go for your two-year mission assignment? So women only have to go for a year and a half. Oh, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think now they can go when they're younger. But when I was at BYU, you, they went when they were 21. Okay. And um, so I went when I was 21, and I went to Uruguay. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're you're assigned to space, and that was also incredibly difficult for me. I was so homesick. It was everything about that was hard. Every single thing about that was hard. I've I felt really forced. I've I felt like I was always forced into um, a feeling or an emotion that I wasn't actually subscribing to. But Mm -hmm. I felt like if I didn't do it, then I was I was. I was out. Yeah. You no, know, I was out. And so when I graduated, I I um, I went to I, I moved to Park City immediately because that's where all the rebellious Mormons go. <laughs> and uh, not to mention Park City is pretty great. Oh, it was great. Yeah. And and I felt better in Park City. Um, a couple years after I graduated, I moved to San Francisco, and that is that's when I felt like I was home. Okay, yeah. so I'm gonna I'm gonna step back a second because okay. you mentioned the book. I think I mentioned it earlier too. Um, so Tova wrote a book about her, her story called Borrowed Courage, and the the premise. And there's a whole lot in this book, and it's a it's a great book. But Thank the you. premise of it, I think, the underlying theme of it is your faith in Jesus Christ. Yes. So growing up a Mormon, when were you first exposed to Christ, and when did that faith start? I. I don't have I don't have a moment that I can yeah. say this was the moment um, that I, but but I fell in love with Jesus from from the time I was very young. I very much believed in him. I believed in what he did for me. Um, I had this great sense of gratitude. For so him. pardon my ignorance on this. Okay. In the Mormon faith, mm-hmm. are there do they teach about Jesus? They do. Okay. Yeah, Jesus is very much a part of of the Mormon faith. And, and it's the same story. They believe the Bible. But he's the not Bible. the son of God. They do believe he's the son okay. of God. They actually believe that he is the literal son of God. They don't believe in the Trinity. So that's okay. the difference. Gotcha. Um, so I had a great uh, understanding of Jesus. And um, I had my faith in him was 
has always been strong. My gra- I had this just deep sense of gratitude for Jesus all, all my life. Um, I never questioned that. It was, it was the checklist for me of what I had to do to, 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 to be good and to earn. I felt like grace was something I really yeah. had to earn. I had to be good. Um, and I could be bad. And if I was bad, then God, God became very scary uh, for me. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's not something that can be earned. Yeah, right. And, and for, for, for me, being Mormon, it felt like I was always working. I was always working. And always coming up short. Yes, yeah. forever. Forever short for God's love and grace in my life. Okay, so then you go from Park City. You get a cool job, tech company. Mm-hmm. So you're in the whole Silicon Valley during the boom yep. of, of tech. Yep. That had to be a really cool experience. It was fun. It was, it, living in San Francisco was just fabulous. And working in Silicon Valley was awesome. It was, you know, I was at the cusp. It was, it was 1996, 97, um, 98. And it, it was just, it was a great time. It was a great place. It was, and, and, and faith, <laughs> for, for good or bad, it, it has no place in San Francisco. No, yeah. and, and so I could just, I wasn't Tova the Mormon. I wasn't Tova the ex-Mormon. I, I was no longer defined by my faith. I was just Tova. And so figuring out who that was in that space was, was great. Okay, and then what brought you back to Texas? Uh, I, I was dating um, long distance, my high school sweetheart, and, um, and my mom was actually sick as well, and he wanted me to move back, and I was like, I'm not, I'm not moving back to Dallas, especially for a guy. Um, but, then I, but my mom being sick got me back um, in early or late 1998, and, um, so you wouldn't move back for the guy, but if the guy came in part of the deal, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and actually before I moved back, he asked me to marry him. So it, it worked out. So my mom was sick. My mom had cancer. My mom got diagnosed with cancer when she was 39 for the first time. And she fought it for 14 years. She died when she was 53. And, um, and so I came back to just be close with her and take care of her. Um, which was which was a great thing, but ended up marrying my high school sweetheart, and that's what that's what her him and and my mom got me back in 1999. Okay, so you didn't come back for the guy, but you came back and <laughs> got a guy. Yes. Right, yeah. What year did y'all get married? 99. We 99. Got that okay, year. you got married in 99. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm, I'm going to let you take the story from there. Well, okay. Wait, if if I yeah. can, yeah. I, I don't want this. This is an important part of your story, but just for the benefit of our audience, I mean, you you left just to be clear. Obviously, you left the Mor- the Mormon Church, yes. and so at what point did that happen? Was that in uh, San Francisco? Was no, that when you came back to Dallas? Immediately, this the, the when I when I. <clears throat> Across the stage at Brigham Young University. That's when it happened. I never went back to church. So real quick, can, I mean, when did you, how did you inform your family that this was a decision that you had made and that you were taking, uh, you know, this path um, down, you know, following Christ? How did that, how did that all unfold? Well, I never like sat my family down uh-huh. and, you know, dropped this bomb. I think it was just everybody started putting the pieces together 
And um, I know it was really disappointing for my family, yeah. for all of my family. Um, you know, I, all, all my aunts, uncles, cousins, every grandparent, everybody is Mormon. Yeah. And uh, so it was, it was hard on them. It was really, really hard on them. But it was never, uh, we didn't have a conversation. It was just, I, they knew that my lifestyle was changing. They could see that. Yeah. Um, when I moved to San Francisco, they knew. And so to this day, you've never sat down and just kind of had a heart to heart. Uh, not, not at all. Is that something that you wish would happen just to kind of get that off your chest or just think, to have a... I think a... the book kind of let the cat uh, out of the bag. Uh, okay. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but, um, no, no, it's not but, something that I, uh, that I feel like I, because for me, my faith has always been very personal. I don't feel like I owe yeah. anybody anything, um, I, I just, I, I never felt like I owed my parents any, yeah, no, a, I, an explanation. That, that, that's just, and then I think it's also important to, to talk about the fact that um, even though you, you've, you've chosen this different path from your family, you guys have uh, a deep love and, and, and you're, you're involved with, with your, your family and, and, and they're an important part of your Absolutely. life today, which is counter to other stories that people are probably familiar with yeah. as far as you leave the Mormon church and then you're, you're basically cut off. Yeah. And that's, that I, I know a lot of people where that happened yeah. and, and I thank God that my family did not make that choice. Yeah. Um, they have, you know, I, I became a pastor of, of a large congregation at Highland Park United Methodist Church for several years. And I was youth pastor there. And so they were very aware that my faith changed. Yeah. Um, and But we don't have to talk about it over dinner. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so, so it's kind of like uh, just respect. Yeah. They respect, I think, that they, if they don't respect what I do or who I am or what I believe, they've never told me. And I have deep respect for who they are, how yeah. they worship, what they believe, because I see the peace and the joy that it brings them. Yeah, and that's actually good. I didn't think about it from that perspective because obviously you love them, right? And, love them. And, and they're your yes. family. Right. And you know that that news would, would cut in a way that you don't want to hurt them. Right. Um, so you just kind of leave it alone and go your own path. So, I, you know, that's that's... A mature way to think about it and well, go about it. I, I was probably. I don't think it, maturity. Well, <laughs> probably, in I mean, hindsight, I wish. I wish that that was. I could chalk it up to great maturity. I think I was probably petrified. Yeah. To sit down with them at the time and and you know make this sure. big announcement. You know, I would equate it to telling them I was pregnant when I was fifteen. I mean, it would just <laughs> been a bomb that that would have been really difficult yeah. for them to, and I, I probably just didn't want to deal with it. Sure. But it 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 has all it has all played out to be more than okay, and I'm grateful for that. It would break my heart if they, you know, if they didn't want anything to do with me because of my choice of, of faith. Yeah. So you and Topher. Yeah, we get married. Um, 1999. I. Um, we, I came, when I moved here, I worked uh, for another computer company. I was working um, full-time in PR, and he did commercial estate, and we just started this. We bought a house, got a dog, 
and just started. I mean, it was a dream. It was a dream come true. I'd always been in love with Topher. I'd been in love with him since I was in high school, and you know, he's he was he was he was my dream. All my dreams were coming true, um, and and I I was so so very happy. And um, my greatest dream outside of getting married to Topher was to be a mom to have babies and start a family. Um, and so shortly after, uh, six months or so after I got, uh, after we were married, I, got, I was pregnant. I got pregnant and I was, I was so excited. I wanted to be a mom. I always wanted to be a mom. When I got, when I was little, I, people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would say mom. Yeah. And so for me, this was just the beginning of, of all my dreams coming true. And it's kind of like you had those the, that maternal instinct even when you were young because you took care of your yeah. siblings yeah. at that time. Very much so. Very much so. And I felt confident in that. Like if I was going to be really good at something, I was going to be really good at being a mom. And so you've got this ideal life, uh, and six months later you're pregnant, so you've got to be on top of the world at yeah. that point. Yeah, I really was. I was I was totally on top of the world. And everything seemed to be going great. You know, I went to my checkups and everything looked good and until about six months. Um, I was I was measuring small. I went in and, and the doctor was concerned because my stomach just wasn't growing and to the size that they felt comfortable with. And so um, they said, well, you know, we probably should get a sonogram. So I came back that afternoon and you know, grabbed Topher and we went to some room in Presbyterian you never want to go to because it means something might be wrong and you know you get this extra special you know, 4D sonogram and I knew uh, I knew from how long the doctor was taking and the fact that nobody was saying anything that something it, the banner dies down yeah yeah that he had seen something. Um, and, and he did that he, the, we were, I was pregnant with a baby girl. I didn't know it was a girl. Um, but it was, it was a baby girl and her, her heart, um, wasn't growing properly. The chambers weren't forming and so the blood wasn't pumping and, and so it was making it difficult for her to grow in the womb and, uh, I mean, right, right there in that moment, he told us that the chances of me going full term were very slim, and if I went full term, that the chances of her uh, surviving birth would, were very slim, and then if she survived birth, the, wouldn't survive much. Yes, much she would go straight into surgery, and you know, it would be a very difficult, difficult road. So, did you carry her full term? Uh, eight months. Eight months. At eight months, I went into labor, and um, and she was stillborn. She was, and I, I honestly, I, I was one of the first to, of my friends to get pregnant, and so I, I never, I this had never happened. You yeah. know, you live long enough, you hear, you go through things with your friends, and and you see things, and so, I, but I, nobody had ever. I didn't know stuff like this actually happened, you know, in, yeah. in real life. Uh, so it was it was incredibly traumatic. And so my sad. brother went through something similar, and, and I remember at the time. So uh, full term, and the family was there, and they bring in the baby who wasn't living, mm -hmm. and people are holding 
and and it, you know it's supposed to bring closure. And I remember at the time I was thinking this is kind of macabre, but also beautiful at the same time. Yeah. There's something there to it. But the the part of your book that I find fascinating is how you talk about how as you go through this, and it's such a horrible experience to go through, just how people react to it, and yeah. just the offhanded comments and things. Oh yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? It, because it's. And I think you even say it's like hard to keep friends at sometimes because friends don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. So any advice you can give to people like me, it's and and you say talk about uh, I think in jest a book you want to write about what to say, but <laughs> yeah, talk it, about it, that it, a little bit. <laughs> the book would be very short. It would have one page, and the title would be "What to Say When When Something Bad Happens to Someone." And the, the, the page, you would open the book and the page would say, I'm sorry, I love you. And that's it. Um, I think Nothing else anybody can say. Nothing, nothing is going to bring no. you comfort. Nothing. And, and you know, after working in the church, I even saw that more. You know, doing pastoral care and walking with families that went through incredible tra tragedy. You see people around them trying to make sense of it. And so... You know, they're throwing out all this stuff that they think is going to help. Things like uh, everything happens for a reason. God needed another angel. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, that's the good stuff that people say. You know, there's some stuff that people say you can't believe what comes out of their mouth. Um, the, la the lady in the gym locker room. Oh, yes. There was, I, at this point, I was working at the Cooper Aerobic Center, which I lo deeply love, love Dr. Cooper. And, um, but I you know, took everything that I had to walk back in um, that gym and go back to work because everybody knew that I was pregnant. I obviously wasn't pregnant, but I didn't have a baby. And so every time somebody would say, oh my gosh, you had your baby, um, I had to you know, they'd Tell say, them. what did you have? Yeah. How, you know, and then I would have you're, to. You're reliving it every time. Every time. I mean, from the cleaners to, so going back to work was difficult. And uh, I went back to work, went to the gym. And one, the, this is the first day back. And uh, I was, I'd just worked out and I was uh, in the locker room getting ready. And this woman came up to me. She's like, oh my gosh, you had your baby. And I said, I did. And she said, what did you have? I said, I had a little girl. And, would you name her? How much? And I said, well, she was actually a stillborn and um, she didn't make it. And the woman said, well, it was all that running you did. And, uh, wow. and she, without even hesitating, you know, it, she blamed in the sense, blamed, blamed me yeah. for the death of my daughter. And I mean, I, 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 could not believe, I mean, I get choked up thinking about it, but I just, I mean, I just packed up my bag and just cried walking out. Mm. And, and I didn't, I, I, that, I couldn't go back to work. You know, that was the day I was supposed to go back to work. I was like, I can't, can't, can't do it. Can't, not can't today. Not Today's yet. not the day. So people just, they try to make sense of death and tragedy. A lot of people try to make sense of, and, and there, there is oftentimes no sense and tragedy, and yeah. you don't have to make sense of it. Just say, I'm sorry, and I love you. That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. So uh, you go through this tragedy. Mm -hmm. You and Topher recover. We do. We, I, I was, we were devastated. We were sad, but um, we were not, we did not lose heart. We, you know, this was not going to 
this was not going to be the end of our story. Well, you know, the bad thing about this is, is it's not just that you lose a child, but you're reminded of on a daily basis. Because I'm assuming you had built out a nursery, you had oh, everything, yeah. you did all the nesting. Oh, yeah. Every time you come home, you're seeing the fact that, okay, my child didn't live. That's exactly right. But you can, you, you, life goes on. Life goes on. And, and it, it just does. And so you have a choice in those moments. You know, what are you going to do? And, and it was, you know, I definitely mourned and, and it was, it was devastating, but I, it did, it didn't take me down. This was, it didn't take me down. And so I, 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 you know, now I really wanted a baby and I loved being pregnant. For me, being pregnant was a joy and it was not hard. Um, I loved it. I, I felt like I just had this secret and, and, you know, this great secret that I was holding and, and it was so precious. And, and so getting, I, I immediately got pregnant again. And, um, and this time the pregnancy was strong and healthy and I was growing and it was, it was easy. It was easy. I was sick, but it was easy. Um, and so on in January, January 9th of 2003, I gave birth to a son. His name was Charlie. And he was born three and a half weeks early, but he was almost six pounds. And he was strong and healthy and beautiful. And he was perfect. I mean, I to this day, that day was the happiest day of my life. Um, holding him and looking at him. And he was mine. And he was alive. And he was strong and beautiful and all of our friends and family were I, so I tell happy. that to my two younger kids it's like listen not to take away from you but when my first child was yeah. born yeah. that day was special it is by the time they came along it's like yeah it's like that. <laughs> but that is such a special day first child yes i vividly yeah. remember it yes yes and you've never experienced anything like this in your life and i had i had given birth to a baby but i had never experienced this and, uh, you know, they, when I was in the hospital, they would always like, do you want a break? Do you want to, that's, what, apparently they don't do that anymore. They don't take your baby. Like you have to, I think you have to hold your baby the whole time now. But back then they would take your baby back to the nursery quite a bit. And, or you could make that choice and take naps yeah. and whatever. And I was like, no, no I never let mm. Charlie leave ever. And, um, in fact, I remember a nurse she said, I've never seen anybody, I've never seen a mom hold their baby as much as you do. And I told her, you know, I've lost, I had lost a baby. And she said, when I, she was having a hard time getting pregnant and which I couldn't believe she worked in a, in a nursery at, you know, Presbyterian. But I said, or she said, when I have a baby, I'm going to, I'm going to be like you. And I just, I loved him. I loved him so much. And taking him home was just a dream come true. And Charlie, Charlie was my, he was the best thing that ever happened to me. And he's a beautiful baby. Too. Oh, he was crazy. Really beautiful. pretty baby. <laughs> and, and look, I'll be honest. Most babies are ugly. I'll, just go, I'll go ahead and say, uh, there's there's a whole lot of babies that come out looking like Mr. Magoo. They're not very true. And Charlie is a very beautiful baby. Yeah, I mean, he we used to get stopped and like what hey, that baby. He just had these beautiful, huge blue eyes, and and I'm I'm half Spanish, so my mom's. My mom's Spanish, and she has beautiful, beautiful dark skin, and he, he got that skin, and he was just gorgeous. He was just beautiful, blonde, big hair. I mean, just the most beautiful baby. Okay, so then about 
three, four months later? Four months. Um, we, he, was, he was a small baby when he was born. I'm small, Topher's small. Um, and so having a small child did Seems not normal. seem... Yeah. Yeah, and he was three and a half weeks early, so it just didn't seem weird that he was small. But every time we went to the doctor, they were like, oh, he needs to be gaining more weight. And, um, and so you know, we were you know, supplementing, and they were like, maybe I was breastfeeding. They were like, maybe you're not producing enough milk. And so you know, we were trying different things. But at four months, it, it became worrisome to me. And uh, we went to the doctor, and, and he still wasn't uh, gaining as much weight as they liked. But, you know, the doctor was like, well, let's try this. And I said, you know what, I want blood work. It just, my gut was telling me something was going on. And he was like, no, we don't need to do that. And I was like, no, I really, I really want blood work. And I, don't, I didn't even know what why that do you, meant. Why do, you think that, why do you think that was that you had that feeling? I, I just think intuition is real. Yeah. And there was something in my gut. And, and when I said, I want blood work, I th I'm sure I got that out of a movie. Like, what was, <laughs> yeah. I, what was I even asking for, you know? Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even know what that meant, but I just knew that blood told stories. And so I just felt like there was something going on. And so he was like, okay, okay, you know, all right, all right, get, shut the mom up, let's get him some blood work. And um, it was a Friday, and um, in order to get a blood work from a baby, you have to go to children's because their veins are so tiny um, that there's, you know, you don't just go to downstairs to the, where we go to yeah. get our blood or get blood taken. Anyway, so I, we go to children's. Uh, Saturday, um, Topher and I went on a walk. We had... It was just a beautiful Saturday. We came back, and this is when we still, when people still had home phones. The home phone rang, and it was doctor. It was our doctor, and um, and he, Topher answered the phone, and and what's going on? And uh, he said, "Hey, uh, we I have some I have some really tough news. Um, Charlie's the the blood work came back, and Charlie's liver is." The liver numbers are elevated to an, an incredibly dangerous level. Your your son's liver is failing, mm -hmm. and we were like, "What?" Charlie Charlie couldn't gain weight. He had a hard time gaining weight, but Charlie did not. Charlie was not sick. Yeah, he's a happy baby. Happy and growing, um, and uh, he didn't he didn't throw up. He d he wasn't yellow. He he was. He was beautiful. He was perfect. He he didn't cry. He wasn't in pain. There were I just we were in shock, and so. He, and you talk about how in the book you go back to the hospital and all of a sudden there's like thirty people around. They're like, okay, this is out of the ordinary, and and everybody wanted to learn. At yes, because Children's is a teaching hospital, yeah. which I I didn't know that, but you know, so so these rare cases that don't make sense become incredibly interesting to students. And I get that and I have respect for that. But when you're in it, yeah. Yeah, you I feel know. like a rat. Yeah. You know, it felt like my son was was a rat and I felt very protective of that. And so that was I felt like it was my job to not turn him into that. Um and what was the eventual diagnosis? So we were in children's for almost a month. Um, three and a half weeks, and they did every test, uh, scans, uh, x-rays, bone marrow, you know, spleen, every CT scans, MRIs, every test, and nothing. Everything was coming up empty. You know, there was no, n nothing. 
So Charlie's five months old at this time? <clears throat> yes, five months old, still not gaining weight. Growing, Liver, growing tall. Growing tall. But not putting on yes, weight. Yes, which, yeah. which was, he began to look scary. You know, he yeah. began to not, babies are fat, and yeah. Charlie was not fat. And um, so they finally had to, said, we need to do a liver biopsy. We've got to go in and just take a piece of the liver and, and figure out what's going on. So the doctor that we had was just an incredible doctor. And, and right after the biopsy, um, he came in with a, a large team. There were probably 15 people mm. in the room. You know, we're waiting on pins and needles to figure out what's going on. Um, we'd been given, we had been given the diagnosis at one point of cystic fibrosis, and we thought we were devastated by that. Um, and they thought, you oh, know, this is probably cystic fibrosis. Um, it, it seems like the TV show House, where you've got all these doctors in, and they're all trying to make these guesses, and, you know, some of them young. And, and then it's a process of elimination to yeah. figure out what it actually is. Right. And the biopsy. So the biopsy comes back, doctor comes in, all these people standing around with him, and he sits us down and tells us that, um, that Charlie has a very rare metabolic disease called mitochondrial disease. It's a disease that uh, can affect, it's like cancer, it can affect any part of the body. Um, so there are people who have mitochondrial disease where it affects their brain or their heart um, or their liver. And it affected, uh, it affected Charlie's liver. And so there's very little treatment. You treat symptoms of mitochondrial disease, there's no cure. Um, so if his liver numbers are elevating, you can, you can get blood products or, you know, there's, you, you treat symptoms, but there's no cure. And so, you know, we get the news that our son has a, an illness um, that has no treatment, very little treatment, no cure, and is terminal. And at some point, Charlie's going to die of this. And so we, we asked him, you know, how long? And he said, I don't know. But Charlie was sick, and he wasn't getting better. Uh, you just you know, give him medication and shove food down his throat right. and, and, and pray like hell that he'll, he would hold on as long as possible. Um, he still didn't seem sick, which was good and bad, you know, because... Yeah. Um, well, it's got to be horrible. You see a baby that's happy, and, and other than not putting on weight, he's a happy baby, yeah. and, and you get to love on him, but you know yeah. your time is short. Yes, and, and I, from the way that he was beginning to look, it was obvious that it was getting shorter, yeah. that time. And, and so we did, we did not go home on hospice at that point. Um, the, uh, they said, you know, we'll treat him as long as, as, long as we can. And so... We went home and and we were given all these supplements and vitamins and 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 that that became a really scary world for me um, because now I was wasn't just Charlie's mom I was Charlie's nurse and I didn't want to be Charlie's nurse I wanted to be Charlie's mom yeah and so that was hard and I'm sure there's not that it's right but I'm sure as most moms that go through this there's, there you already have guilt. Because you're probably thinking, I did something wrong that caused this. Absolutely. And now all of a sudden, you're the caregiver where you're going, oh, please, God, don't let me do something wrong again. Yes. And you become basically a, you're feeding him constantly. Constantly. 
and I was still breastfeeding because I was adamant about getting them as much nutrition as possible. I was feeding Charlie around the clock. I mean, around the clock. I fed him every two hours around the clock. And, um, and, and he just, I want to say he probably peaked at his weight at six months. He, Charlie never weighed more than nine pounds. Um, and, um, and then once he, once he got to nine, he started, it started to taper off. He started to lose weight. We just, we couldn't keep weight on him. So when you're, when you're at, back at home <clears throat> with Charlie, when, when does the thought of, I cannot believe this is happening? Um, Every the second, day. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, Every just, day. I can't imagine what that, that's like. Um, and then, and how, how strong of a role did, did yours and, and Topher's faith play into just, you know, scrounging up enough strength yeah. to, to move forward? Yeah. The hardest part, and I talk a lot about this in the book, the hardest part was having Charlie here, looking at him, playing with him, feeding him, changing him, bathing him. And knowing that at some point in the very near future, he was going to be gone. But he was here. Mm -hmm. And so how do, I, how, do, how do I enjoy this moment? Because he's here without worrying or fearing the day that he's not going to be here. Yeah. So it was a, it was a, it was a balance. It was, it was every day. And every day I, I looked at him, every day I looked at him and cried and thinking how, how am, how am I going to one day not look at him? You've got to be doing a lot of mind tricks with yourself at that point to say, okay, I'm just going to put this out of my mind yes. and try to focus on something else. Yes. So, so to answer your question about faith, um, I joke, but it's really not a joke, that before, bef you know, before Charlie... Topher and I would go to church. Uh, we, when we got married, um, we decided, we knew that f faith, we wanted faith to be par part of our family. Topher was raised Catholic. Uh, as you know, I was raised Mormon. And the only thing we knew is we didn't want to be either one of those. <laughs> and, and so we just started church shopping. And um, we tried a couple of churches. And, and we decided to give every church three months. Um, because that seemed fair. If he, pastor was having an off day, um, <laughs> and uh, we walked into Highland Park Methodist, and we we heard Mark Craig, and um, I mean he, I remember hearing him for the first time and thinking, this this, this that's my Jesus, like yeah. that's the Jesus. Um, I th love that story because I had a very similar. Experience oh, did you here. with Mark? Yeah, I grew up Episcopalian. My wife grew up more in the Baptist faith, and and as we were looking. I heard Mark and was like, that's it. Yeah. He's able to uh, verbalize what I'm thinking. Yes. And what I, yeah. what, who, who Jesus is to me yeah. was the Jesus that he spoke about. The Jesus that he, Jesus had always been to me was finally articulated by a man named Mark Craig. And yeah. that was a great blessing. But Topher and I went to church if it was sunny and we found parking and we weren't hungover. I mean, our faith was very convenient. And that's just the truth. And, I, I, you know, it was Jesus was a little pretty little box that I kept on my table. And, you know, sometimes I opened it and sometimes I closed it. And I, I didn't need Jesus. I I'd never needed 
Jesus. I liked Jesus. I loved Jesus. I was grateful to Jesus. I was looking forward to heaven because of Jesus, but I never needed Jesus. And looking at Charlie, like I, I knew, I knew that in order to get through this, it was nothing on earth was going to, to help me or him. Nothing, there was no, right. nothing on earth that could help us. And so the only choice I had, I felt, was Jesus. And so I just took this chance on, that, that faith could, not number one, heal him. I believed or wanted, you know, yeah. and believed that if anybody could heal him, Jesus could. If he could be healed, then Jesus could do it. And, um, and if he didn't heal him, the only way I was going to get to the other side of this was something greater than me. So um, how long did Charlie live? Charlie passed away on August 31st of the same year. So he lived a little almost over eight months. months. Yeah, yeah, almost nine months. God, that's got to be. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the saddest thing in the world is a uh, infant casket. Yeah. They're so it tiny is. and it, you see yeah. them and it just, that just breaks your heart. And, and you're right. I mean, I, to walk up to Sparkman Hillcrest and to do a graveside service for, a, for your baby is. Yeah. And sit, uh, sitting there, you know, in the front row, staring yeah. at your son's casket there's there wasn't as as beautiful and perfect of a day as January 9th 2003 was was as dark and horrifying as was August 31st well and I love it in your book where you say the receiving line after a funeral uh, is just like the stupidest most asinine thing <laughs> I love that that is so true oh we, it's like I've got my guts uh, wrenched, you know, yeah. everything's just been ripped out of my soul. Yeah. And you want me to go receive smile people? and yeah. hi, how are receive you? Receive people. Time Thank you. you for coming. Yeah. And, and or dealing with their sadness. I didn't want to deal with my sadness. Yeah. I, d I didn't want people. It's too much. It and was their too sadness much. is real. Their I mean, you know. Of and, course. And, and, and that's just a lot to have to take yeah. on. I couldn't. I, it, when after Charlie's funeral. Um, you know, we, the family's escorted out. Topher and I went into the garden at Highland Park Methodist and just sat down there. And our precious pastor, Bill Stevenson, he came down there and he said, I mean, I remember it. He was like, you, you know, you got a lot of people waiting for you. And I said, I don't care, Bill. I'm yeah. not coming up there. And he was like, mm, I think you, I think you might want to come up here. And I loved him so much. It's the only reason I did it was because I was loved and trusted and respected him. It's not because I wanted to go. And then the and then the meal thing at somebody's house is ten times worse than the receiving. You're supposed to like have a beer and eat a cold sandwich with a bunch of people who just went to the funeral. I mean, that's a, that's an even worse idea. No, I think it works better <laughs> if you have like eighteen beers. Yeah. <laughs> then it works. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, I mean, I'd have been breastfeeding. So, dr you know, oh. dr drinking from, I mean, I just didn't, I hadn't drank in so long. Yeah, I was really cheap. <laughs> Thank God, probably <laughs> on that day. <laughs> so, give us a timeline. You've got uh, end of August, Charlie passes away. Your whole world kind of is blown up at this point. Uh, you know, you've already been through a lot of heartache with your previous pregnancy. How long do you wait until you 
get pregnant again. And I know you did a lot of research because the, yes. the the disease that Charlie had. Yeah, so mitochondrial disease, you can get mitochondrial disease one of three ways. One is your your mom, the mom is a carrier. So that would mean I had mitochondrial disease. I did not have mitochondrial disease. So that he didn't get it that way. The other is a recessive gene that I carry, Topher carries. Well, the doctors, we went and saw a a specialist, a genetic specialist on mitochondrial disease in Seattle. We flew to Seattle to meet with him about why did, how did Charlie get this? Was it related to the first pregnancy? What Are we irresponsible to continue to try to get pregnant? And, uh, and that doctor was very emphatic. Emphatic. And he said, there's no way it's a recessive gene that you and your husband carry. It's so rare. It's so implausible. The chances are one in millions. Um, so the third is a sporadic genetic mutation. This was just a fluke. Wow. And he, I said, so if you were me, would you get pregnant again if you wanted more children? And he said, absolutely. And so I did. I mean, I... So how much after so August Charlie, 31st? Yeah, Charlie passed away August... And we had Louisa. I gave birth to Louisa the next year in November. So it wasn't long. It was no. six, yeah. six months, maybe. Um, I got pregnant. I was ecstatic. Everything looked beautiful. Girl, Louisa. Beautiful yeah. girl, Louisa. She was born a little bit early, like Charlie. She was bigger, healthy, strong, um, fat. And uh, her cheeks were huge. And it. They uh, they said that Charlie's when Charlie was born, his liver numbers were probably elevated when he was born. Um, so they were going to test Louisa, the you know, in the hospital, um, do blood work, and um, and they did. And you know, we waited on pins and needles to to hear about the liver numbers, and her liver numbers were perfect. Mm. And so, as far as we were concerned, we were going home with. A healthy baby girl. You went through hell, come out the other side, get a beautiful baby girl. Mm-hmm. Beautiful baby home. girl. And, um, you know, there was, I had a lot of hope and I was really excited, um, but there was a lot of fear. And I had a lot of fear that four months would come and the yeah. ball would start dropping. And, um, you know, she was growing, she gained weight. Uh, they were not worried. Nobody was, nobody was worried. And, you know, Topher would come home every day and be like, oh, look how fat her thighs are. We'd never seen fat thighs. Like, it was just, it was, she was very reassuring. Um, but every morning from the day that I got home from the hospital, I would, I would strip down and I'd get on the scale and I'd weigh myself. And then I would strip her down and put her on me and we'd stand on the scale together. And for... Four months, I, I saw that scale go up, and yeah. then right at about four months, the scale. You're stopped. you're like anybody else. I would think in this situation, you're just being OCD about. Absolutely, look, I'm going to check yeah. this every time, every day, and make sure. Yeah, every day. So what happened at four months? So at four months, um, for about a week, the scale didn't move, and I started to get real scared, and. Um, so I told Topher, I, was, I told Topher, I said, I'm, I, I don't think she's gaining weight. And he was like, no, she's gaining weight. She, look how fat she is. She's perfect. And then I said, Topher, let me tell you what I've been doing. 
And so I told him what I'd been doing, and he was like, you know, no. He just refused to believe it. And I said, can we just go test? Can we just go get our blood work done? And so we ordered blood work, and her liver numbers were elevated. Mm. Same, same thing. Louisa, Charlie. Exact same diagnosis. Exact same diagnosis. Charlie was, um, he was, he was uh, well until four months, and then his illness was gradual. His his sick, his sick was gradual. Louisa, she was healthy and strong and big, and we could see a difference in her health versus Charlie. Now that we had what seemed like a healthy baby, we could see, oh, Charlie actually was sick. So Louisa um, was healthy, 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 and she was even, she held on to be pretty strong and healthy until six months, and then she just, she just plummeted, and it was, it was quick. It was really quick. So she, she passed away. Um, she was born in November, and she passed away in June. Wow. Mm. So just about the same, just about the same timeline. So was, was, was it determined that it was a mutation? So at that point, it was... That's, that's the it only... Was, it was a, it, no, it was a recessive uh, gene. Oh, it was a recessive gene. I'm sorry. Yeah. And the chances of that happening are like one in a billion. Yeah. yeah. But the fact that we, that it happened again, there's yeah. no way that, I mean, now it was obvious that Topher and I were carriers. Okay. Of, and so it was a recessive gene. Mm. So even, even with the recessive gene, it's one in four. So um, we just, we just kept hitting it. That's amazing. It was, it, it was, luck was not on our side. So before, I mean, before we take a turn to some obviously happier times in your life, so my, my question is, is, you know, being involved in the church, um, having faith, and having gone through what you and Topher went through, do you understand why when people go through difficult times, to, to whatever degree, um, why they turn away from the church or they turn away from God. Like you, you know, having been where you've been and, and your, your, you know, your faith is strong today, but then you see others who turn away. Right. Do you look at them and say, I get it. I don't, I can understand why. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, I, I would never judge anyone and, and, and their response to their pain. Um, I can only speak for my response and what motivated me to, to not go that route. For me, turning against God, being angry at God, you know, putting my fists up to God, that, that just never happened. And it's not because I'm amazing or I, my faith was so strong because it wasn't. For me, and, and I talk about this in my book, after I lost Louisa, the pain, the hopelessness, the desperation, the depression, the sadness was, I mean, I, I say that, uh, you know, all of those things became my roommate. Yeah. And, and I, I am not a sad person and I was, I was so sad. And yeah. the, the only thing that I knew was sad. And I, I was so sad and so depleted. Um, I really contemplated committing suicide. I wanted 
to die because living was not it's fun. Painful. It was painful. And, you know, being in, working at the church and, and actually doing funerals for people who had committed suicide, I've heard people, you know, oh, it's so selfish. And it's how could he have done this to his family? How could she have done that to her parents or whatever? It's, that's not. That's not, yeah. They're, they're not thinking. They're not, it's not selfish. It is the pain. The pain of living outweighs everything else. And I got that. The only reason I did not commit suicide was Topher. Hmm. I knew what it felt like to be left behind. And I could not do that to him. Yeah. But I wanted to die. I wanted to die. I wanted to go be in heaven. And I wanted to be with my children. No, absolutely. And, and so, but I couldn't. I couldn't do that. And so I had to live. And the only answer for me was Jesus. The only, the only avenue that I saw out of this pain. And, and, and it didn't come quick. It's not like, you know, I just flipped the Jesus switch on and, and everything was better and clarity and, you know, faith got me through. No, like there were the days of sadness and, yeah. and grief and loneliness. You know, all my <clears throat> friends were having kids and that's a yes. reminder of what oh, you yeah. could have had and yes the world so tough the world was not my friend and and i wasn't a friend to the world were people second guessing i mean not knowing the 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 you know the facts or not let's say people who aren't as you know like not directly connected to you but maybe indirectly and they heard your story and would people say oh i can't believe they decided to have you know another child after charlie passed that's that's reckless and senseless and yeah Therefore, nobody should be surprised on on the outcome. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah we that's got to be tough as well. We heard. Because the only thing I did was blame myself. Yeah. The only thing I did was blame myself. I blamed myself for having an unhealthy baby. I blamed my body. I blamed my choice. I, you know, it was my choice. It was our choice to have children. It was our choice to give birth. It was our, so then, in, in, and it was my body and Topher's body that made them sick. Mm -hmm. And so the, on, the only thing I did was blame myself. I did not need anybody to put that on me, but they did, of course. Yes. Of course, you know, they, it's just reckless, yeah. reckless. There, there's a part in your story that I love in I don't think you came to this realization until later. So as you're going through this, you probably didn't realize it. But you start talking about your story and basically say your narrative was Tova was born, Tova had some fun, Tova married a guy she really loved, they had children, all of them died, Tova cried, Tova never stopped crying, Tova eventually died, the end. Yeah. That's your story at that point. But, yeah. but you knew at this point you could still rewrite your story. And it's not so much, I think, that you knew it as you're going through this, but right. you had a lot of help from Mark Craig yeah. to help write your story. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, uh, you're exactly right. I mean, when I wrote that, at that time, I I knew I wasn't going to die, but I didn't know how anything would come after Tova cried. Um and I didn't know how to live. And so I made an appointment with him, with Mark Craig. And uh, I trusted him a lot. 
And uh, so I went to talk to him. You know, the only thing that I did was go to the cemetery. And I would wake up, make coffee, cry. We lived a half mile from, we live a half mile from Sparkman Hillcrest where they're buried. I would load up my dogs and I'd walk there and I'd sit. And I'd just sit, cry. And I'd walk home and I'd wait for Topher to get home. We would cry. You know, it was just, it was not living. I was just right. crying. And I knew that I couldn't keep doing that, but I didn't know what to do. Going back to work sounded horrible. Um, everything sounded stupid and trivial and pointless. Everything. And, um, and so I, I wanted to get some advice from Mark. So I make an appointment, and we went and saw him. It was August. Uh, Louisa died in June. This is August of the same year and um we sit down with him and you know he's listening how devastated i am how hard this has been i don't know what to do and um and so he says are you are you finished when i was done talking and i said yes and i'm expecting that he's going to say okay let's let me let, let me get the bible real quick i've got some great verses on this um and then we're going to pray and God's going to reveal something to me, and that's not what happened at all. So he says, are you... Instead of reading the Bible, he's got a good swift kick in the butt yeah, for you. he really did. And he said, are you finished? And I said, I'm finished. And he said, okay, so what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. That's why I'm here. And he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I, I want to be a mom. And he said, well, that's just not going to happen. And your children are dead. And God did not put you on this earth to sit around and cry about your dead children. You were born and made to glorify God. So what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, I'll be right back. And so he went and got a woman who worked at the church who's HR. I didn't know who she was. Her name was Elise. And she came back and he said, Elise, we need help. And Tova needs a job. So, Tova, you be here at 9 o'clock on Monday, and you're going to come work at the church. And I was like, no, 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 okay. no, no. I was like, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, it will burn down. Like, hey, you do not want, you, do not, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. I mean, no. And uh, he was like, no, it's, it's exchange numbers. So she got my number, and. She, and you showed up Monday. I showed up Monday at 9 o'clock. And, and I, I uh, started working. He, they put me in adult ministries. I was an assistant to a woman named Kathy who is an angel on this earth. I, I say in the book that I think she was paid to collect my tears. I mean, she just, I would sit outside of her office in a cubicle, and every day my, at some point my shoulders would start to shake because I'd be crying. She would see my shoulders shake, and she'd be like, come on in. And she would just listen to whatever it was that I was crying about that day. And in between, uh, Charlie and Louisa, I also lost my mom. And yes. Kathy mm. looked so much like my mom. So it was just this beautiful gift that, that, that Mark gave me, that God gave me. It was a really, you know, you, if you're a faithful person, there are times in your life that you look back and you think, was that God? You know, was that, yeah. wonder if that, was that you, God? And then there's times that you're like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, God. 
And that was a real moment in my life where I can just look back and say, thank you. Thank you, God. And the great thing about it is, how long did you work for the church? Almost 10 years. 10 years. Yeah, you were there for a long time, and you became the director of the youth ministry. Yeah. So you had, I would say you thrived. You you oh, started, yeah. it, w- it was a little sketchy at first. Yeah, it was rocky at best. <laughs> but, but then you started thriving in that environment. Oh, yeah. I, I Six months or so after I I was there, I they there was a position open in youth ministry, and I went and talked to the director at the time, and I said, I think I'd like to do that. And they hired me, and without any experience, I mean, I I didn't even know what the four Gospels were. <laughs> if somebody had said, Where, what are the Gospels, I, I would, what are you talking I didn't know. Um, but they hired me, and, you know, I began on this journey of, learning and faith and taking courses and studying and um I was so he he left the director of the youth ministry left a, a few months after I started and and the, Mark came into my office and said we think you should be the director of youth ministry and I was like oh gosh I don't think that's <laughs> no, a good idea really <laughs> and I said Mark I don't have any experience like what why on earth would you want me to do this and he said because you love people really well and that's what that's what we need here. And so I did it. I was a youth pastor there for seven years, and it was awesome. All those kids became my kids. And and then I went on to be campus pastor of Cornerstone, and that was an incredible experience. Um, just beautiful congregation, incredible people. It was great. So um, I don't mean to fast forward. I'm not trying you to push on this, forward. but I, I, I'm I'm just thinking. So. We're sitting here today, and you have three wonderful children. Yeah. Can you kind of share with us about your kids now and sure. how that came to be? Sure. So uh, after after we lost Louisa, you know, we we packed up that room, turned it into a guest room. We were done having children. The dream was over. Um, and, I mean, you know, and, and everybody, again, had solutions for my pain. You know, oh, you should get a sperm donor. You should get an egg donor. You should... Why don't have y'all ever thought of adopting? And I <laughs> just like comical, because uh, of course we yeah. had thought about all of those things. But um, I mean, I I couldn't have taken. Did, any, did anybody ever mention drinking a lot? Because that would have been my suggestion. <laughs> is... You know what's crazy is you would think that I, I and I wouldn't have blamed myself, but I never did, I would never went that route. Um, yeah, thank goodness. Yeah, thank you. It, it's thank it's really bad if you go that route when you have a good reason to. Yeah. 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 And I that was never that was never the answer for me. It and I don't judge people. I would never judge someone if it was. Um I, you know, my heart would ache for for that, but no, that just that did not speak to me, thank God. Um but uh so I just I didn't even think uh, we didn't even think about. I the youth had become my children, I was, my joy was, you know, it, it took a long time, but my joy came back. I'd made peace, and, and I felt really lucky that I had my children. And so... You are able to keep writing your story. Yeah. 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 Um, but in 2009, a dear friend of mine asked me to go, if I wanted to go to Africa with her. She was a school teacher. She taught art. She went and worked in an orphanage for three or maybe 10 days, 10, 10 days, two weeks, every summer. And she was like, come with me. I'd done a thousand mission trips with the church. And I was like, I, I am not taking my vacation to go on a mission trip. Like all I do is mission trips. And she was like, that's why you should go. Like, this is for you. 
And we got home from dinner after uh, she asked me, and Tofu was like, I think that would be really good for you, T. You should think about that. Next day, I bought a ticket to Africa and uh, went to Ghana, uh, worked in an orphanage. They put me with the older kids. There were 73 kids in the orphanage. Um, I started watching these three young ones that weren't even in my class. I would just see them at recess and lunch. They were so precious. There were three biological children. Um, there were boy-girl twins that were five, and then they had a little brother that was George, or uh, was four. And I, I, I would just watch them with just this. I, it was like, it was undeniable that they were my children. That's the only way I can say it. Were they already named at the time? They were, na they had Ghanaian names. Okay. So it was Prince, Princela were the twins, and then Winard was now George. George. And uh, so I called Topher from Africa and I said, Topher, we have. Hey, I'm bringing you home a souvenir. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said, Topher, we, we have three children in Africa. And he said, get your ass home. Like, <laughs> no, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> and so I went home and I sat him down. And I said, I'm, I'm serious. Like, I took pictures with them. I, I even went and met with their parents. I've, their parents are alive. They are three of 14 children. They were the youngest. And, um, and so they, they, were, they cost the most money. And so they put them in, in the orphanage. Their family's very poor. And, um, and so I went and talked to their parents and I said, I am interested in adopting your children. Is that a possibility? And if I did that, could I have your blessing? I don't know that I'm going to do that. But if I did that, yeah. how, would, how would that feel for you? And the, the dad spoke very broken English. The mother spoke no English. And he said we would be honored. Um, and, wow. and he said the only, the only request I have is that you don't split. You know, if you are going to adopt, you, you, get them all. you got them all. Yeah. And I said that's what I want. Okay, so, so how, how old were they at this time? They were five. The twins were five, five. and then George was four. Okay. Is, is, you think about, I mean, you, you lost three children, mm -hmm. and then here you are adopting three children. And, and, I mean, most people, I would assume, if they go the adoption route, they start with one, right? <laughs> I mean, there's this. Which the, would seem much more <laughs> logical. No, but do you, <laughs> do you think that, that, that do you, the spirit of the three children that you lost somehow, you know, was planted in the bodies of your three children today and how that kind of comes, that came together in that fashion. What's so funny is I've never thought about that, which is, I, I've never, no one's ever asked me that, and I've never thought about that. Um, I've never looked at, I believe that Charlie and Louisa and my baby girl absolutely know and love and protect and are with uh, uh, my children that are alive today. In fact, we just got back from a, a, a trip where we were horseback riding and, and George was really scared on the horse. His horse was real fat and lazy and he kept tripping and it was intimidating for George and he was behind me and uh, it, this was in Colorado just a couple of days ago. And white butterflies always remind me of Louisa. And 
you know, George is panicking a little bit on the horse. He's getting choked up. He's like, Mom, this is really hard for me. And here comes a white butterfly. Hmm. And I said, baby, look, there's Lou. She's not going to let anything happen to you. And we all breathe. He breathed. And so I believe that their spirits speak. Yeah. Um, And I believe that Charlie and Louisa and my baby girl are very proud of Carter and Anna Prynne and George. I believe that they all look at one another. And, and, And Carter and Anna Prynne and George very much know all about uh, Charlie and Louisa and and my baby girl. Yeah. They and they know that that I am who I am. The spirit and that lives inside of me that allow that gave me the strength and wherewithal to adopt the three of them was only because of of Charlie and Louisa and my baby girl. Yeah. And so they know that the only reason they're here in America and live under my roof is because of their their brother and sisters. So it's a, it's very much, we are a family. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, and, and uh, say from what I've met of your kids, they are spectacular kids. They're I think I said earlier that, uh, I know Anna Prynne probably better than the other two, um, her smile and her personality light up a room. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of that she's born with, part of that's got to come from you. Well, thank you. That she, the, a year later, they were home. You know, Topher said, "Get your ass home." But a year later, they were home, um, and and it was it was a long, hard, uh, expensive, just depleting on every level um, to get them home. But it was. I tell them I would do it all ten. I would lose everything and do everything um, to do it again. Uh, getting them and having them has resurrected my spirit and my joy and that which exists in my home in a way that I could never could have never imagined. They are truly spectacular. Now, do they have, uh, have they been back to Ghana? They have not been back to Ghana. Do they have any contact with their parents? They can have contact with their parents and their parents can have contact with them. Um, there's not a lot of communication. Um, sometimes a sibling will call or reach out. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. And we we work hard to take care of, um, we don't take care of the parents, we take care of, so I was always afraid that, um, I wasn't afraid, I was consciously aware that my children could have some guilt, Yeah. that they were adopted, they were saved, they were taken to this place where they were given great opportunity and their siblings who were back in Africa are still very poor, no education. So anyone in their family who is school age and would like an education and would like um, that opportunity, we afford that opportunity for them. So uh, we pay for um, some of their siblings to go to boarding school in Africa, and so they live great lives, and they're being educated and fed, and they're happy and doing all doing well. And so, I didn't want any guilt. I didn't want them to feel guilty um, that yeah, they got this great life. And yeah, I never thought about it from that perspective. But that's yeah. well, I saw it. I didn't either, but I saw how much Anna Prin came with a lot of 
guilt and worry about her fam family and her siblings. And, um, and they, ha they had a lot of guilt about, I mean, the orphanage they were in was a terrible, horrible place. Um, they were abused on every level, and we didn't know. They hid it well. Um, the orphanage hid it, the children hid it, and we didn't find out until they were here. Um, how just how abused they were. So there's a lot of guilt in the kids that were, yeah. the kids that are st still there probably. We've worked really hard to try to get the man who runs the orphanage um, uh, charged. And, but it's, it's so corrupt um, that it's, it's been expensive and impossible. So I don't want to sound <clears throat> too cliched here, but given this very difficult and but at the same time happy journey that you get you have embarked on i mean to say that things happen for a reason i mean you brought that up earlier but today when you look back i mean do you say that to yourself or or do you have a <clears throat> do you have an answer or some kind of a conclusion that you've arrived at that you know, you look back and say, man, I, 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 I went through that for, you know, these reasons or this one reason. That's a, that's a great question. Um, the word conclusion is an interesting one. <clears throat> I don't think that I've come to a conclusion um, because I don't think I'm done. Uh, but I will say that in the midst of our, our darkest hours, um, we have a choice. That's just, it just comes down right down to it. Uh, we have a choice of what we're going to do with that pain. And I believe that I had a choice and I don't think that I'm fabulous or, or, you know, someone to aspire to be. I just think I made a choice. And, um, you know, I, I was, I was encouraged to make a choice by someone that I really admired and trust trusted Mark Craig. I had a reason to keep going. It was Topher. And, um, and I just, I kept putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. I don't believe, I don't believe that, I believe that we create, um, we create our lives. Yeah. You know, we create, I've created the life that I, I've created the life that I now live. And, and I think, Thank God, because I do believe that it's his strength in me that has afforded me and given me what, what I needed to, to keep on keeping on. Um, but I don't, I just, I, I don't know why, but everything happens for a reason. I think it's, it's, it's a cheap, for me, <laughs> it's a cheap, uh, you know, it's a cheap thing to say. Uh, What's the easiest conclusion? Yes, to, to it's a rationalize. Yes, to rationalize pain. Yeah, and I, th I don't think everything happens for a reason. I think life happens. Sure. And life happens to all of us to varying degrees. You know, people. I, I joke that you know my life resume is not super sexy. You know, I mean, it's not. I don't, I don't have the greatest. You know, people will hear my story and they don't meet me and they're like, oh how so sad but it's not so sad and I am who I am today because of what I've been through I I yeah. can't imagine what a spoiled uh, narcissistic um, brat 
snot I would be had I not endured the pain and the compassion that I sure. would lack as a person. Well, and I'd never have my children. Well, it's funny that you say that you talk about um, sadness. And before, I'll be honest with you, before uh, you came in here today and just kind of uh, hearing bits and pieces of your story, um, I was expecting sadness, which it has been that. But yeah. but all along, I mean, the strength that you exude, um, it, 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 is, it so overcomes the sadness. For sure. And, and that's amazing. Yeah. Um, you, and I think... You can. You know? I mean, and, and that's just, just sitting here and listening to you. I mean, it, I, I draw strength from it, and I'm sure it's, others who you have talked to and have shared this it, story have felt the same way. Yeah, I think you'd call it courage. Almost no, absolutely. borrowed courage. <laughs> yeah. Borrowed, no, seriously. Borrowed courage would be a good name for it. Well, no, I, I, I called it that because <clears throat> there are times where you don't have it. You yeah, know, there was, there were a lot of days in my life where I didn't have it, but I borrowed it. Yeah. you know, I, and until it's like fake it till you make it, you know, and <laughs> yeah. and you will get yeah. there. You know, somebody, I was on a, another podcast recently, and and the girl said, you know, do you, you cheated on us? I cheated on you. Oh so my sorry. gosh! <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, so sorry. Yours is way better. Oh, there you <laughs> way go. Better. There you go. Yeah, yeah. You say that to all. But she asked me. You know, do you still, are there still days that you weep, that you're sad? And I, without hesitating, I said, no. And she was like, what? Yeah. And I said, no. Like, all, all, every, I mean, do I, did I get choked up today? Yeah, because I think about what it was like to look at my children, and that can put tears in my eyes. But I am not sad about their life. I don't. I don't dwell on their death. Uh, the joy totally outweighs the pain if you let it. So, have and with three kids, who's got time for that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Exactly. Yeah. There and, you go. That'll do it, won't yeah, it? Yeah. No, and then I, I'm sure. I, I think I know the answer to this question. I'm going to ask it anyway. But uh, people who you know, people who you may not know, that that um, have either read your book, um, listened, or heard your story come and contact you and say, Tova, thank you so much for sharing with us your story because I went through a similar situation where I experienced tragedy, maybe on a different level, but 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 the strength that 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 you have displayed, I drew strength from and, and I was able to overcome the personal tra- tragedies that I've experienced. Yeah, and that's a really nice and that's kind a- thing and amazing thing for people to say. Yeah. It's a really humbling thing that that your story can somehow inspire someone to to keep on keeping on but for that i'm very grateful and uh, to god be the glory sure i mean i really that is not uh that is not tobacito that is that is the the god's god's divine goodness and and in me that has allowed other people to draw strength you know they're borrowing courage from me i'm borrowing from I've borrowed from God, and that's that's what this that's what the world should be. You know, we should all we should all be helping each other along this path because everybody, everybody at some point is going to experience some level of pain. You know, people people hear my story and they're like, "Oh, I had a miscarriage," but I know that's nowhere near what you've gone through. And I always pain is pain. Mm-hmm. Pain is the same, when you feel pain, it's the same pain I feel. There's not, 
you know, mine might last longer, or, but pain is pain. Thank you so much for sharing your story. This yeah. has been fascinating. Well, thank yeah, you. And you do a great me. job of telling it. <laughs> well, thank you. So if our listeners want to get a hold of you, I know you've got tovacido.com, T-O-V-A-S-I-D-O.com. Yep, you can get my book there. I've yep. written a couple of devotional books that you can get there. Um, I speak at a lot of conferences, women conference, motivational conferences, that kind of thing. So um, any of that, you can you can find me. You can, I'm, I'm, I'm not that, I'm not that big of a deal. It's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're a pretty big deal. Now that you've been on our podcast. Though. There you go. Now, now it's really going to take things off. Things are about to change. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> Tova, thanks a ton. Thank really you. appreciate yeah, thank it being you. here. Thank you. Thank you both.